I want to begin turning to the book of Ephesians. We'll be staying there mostly this morning. For some reason, I'm drawn to the NIV rendering of Ephesians 1, verse 18. It's not vastly different from the other translations, but it says, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people. If only the eyes of everyone were enlightened to this reality. If only I could be sure that everyone who was here this morning had eyes opened as Paul prayed for the saints' meeting in Ephesus to these incredible truths. But as the saying goes, if you don't see it, you just don't see it. And sadly, many do not. Sometimes their eyes don't see it because they are clouded by their own desires, their own intellect, or their lack of confidence in the facts, the reality of God and his place in this universe. In Psalm 71, 5 and 6, some verses that I ran across this week that I've got to add to a sermon that I preach in meetings about David. I think I did preach that in Jacksonville. About David's God and his relationship and why he was able to say, when I awake, I'm still with you. In Psalm 71 and verses 5 and 6, he says, for you are my hope. Oh, Lord God, you are my confidence from my youth. By you I have been sustained from my birth. You are he who took me from my mother's womb. My praise is continually of you. David said, God, you are my confidence from my youth. And it is hope. It is my hope, young people, that God is your confidence and that you'll be able to say with David throughout your adult years, you have been my confidence from my youth. The eyes of David's heart were enlightened and may ours be. There's actually not a period at the end of this verse. It actually continues into verse 19 as it speaks of his incomparably great power for us who believe. God is working powerfully on behalf of those who are believers in him. Having evidenced the kind of power that he has by raising Jesus from the dead. And there's so much surrounding this context as you go on to read and the things that precede it that lead to this awesome prayer that Paul has. I just want you to notice the 
emphasis on God in this verse. I already capitalized the H when I added my own part of verse 19 from this graphic that I found. But I wanted you to notice how God is really at the center of this plea that God, that Paul has for the church in Ephesus. And I did this just for Tom. The word no. I just woke him up over there. He mentioned me by name. Yes. Uh, that's the word oida, and you probably knew that without me even telling you that. It's found here in Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 18. We can talk more about that tonight. But here's the premise of this morning's lesson. To me, the overriding purpose of preaching is right here. That the eyes of your heart might be enlightened. The overriding purpose of even assemblies has to do with connection. Your connection to God. But before I get to that, I want to say something about the very purpose of the book of Ephesians. I have this note in my Bible, and I believe this comes from a class taught by Jared Bowman here several years ago. It was a marvelous study on the book of Ephesians. He says, what's going on in the book of Ephesians is Paul is announcing the benefits of grace. And you see that in the early sections of the book. And then he flows out of that then to the duty that we owe the one who has bestowed so much on us, who has lavished on us in Christ. So the duty then that should be displayed toward the benefactor. And so if you want a synopsis of what's going on in Ephesians, and I want you to appreciate its entire message as we talk about it this morning, that is it. So getting connected to God. I didn't want to call the sermon that. I don't know why. I like to keep things in suspense. And so I use the term possessed instead. You know, a lot of times things are given a one-word title, and so I went with a one-word title today, possessed. And you're thinking, oh, he's going to talk about demon possession or something like that. But actually, this goes back to verse 14 of the text that I want you to read out of your Bibles. In Ephesians chapter 1, Verse 13, it says, in him, you also, I believe that you is referencing Gentiles who would later be included in God's glorious plan. In him, you also, after listening to the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed you were sealed in him with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is given as a pledge of our inheritance with a view to the redemption of God's own possession to the praise of His glory. So I want you to see yourself clearly in Ephesians chapter 1, verses 13 and 14. I want you to think about this morning the time that you were first introduced to the Lord and after listening to the message of truth, that that message became the gospel of your salvation. You embraced the provisions of salvation in Jesus and you were identified by heaven as belonging to Him. You are now possessed. You are God's own 
possession. You want a similar verse to this? 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 9 says, Of believers, you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. Remember his holy people in Ephesians 1.18? A holy nation, a people for God's own possession, that you may proclaim his excellencies. The excellencies of Him who called you out of darkness and into His marvelous light. So when we talk about preaching, it's not just about getting connected to God, but it is about staying connected to God. I want you to think about what you're doing here today. Not just where you came from spiritually, And that momentous occasion that Ephesians 1 and verse 13 describes, I want you to think about where you are right here, right now, today. As you thought about gathering with all these people in this tiny little auditorium, what kinds of thoughts were going through your mind? What did you see today as being in terms of purpose? What what are we accomplishing here? And I would suggest to you that the overriding purpose of all of that is to get people connected to God and to keep that connection maintained. To stay connected to God. Is that how you saw today? Is that how you see all of this? All of the instruction that is given, the preaching that is hopefully persuasive that is done, the teaching that is offered in this place, it is all about this important thing. And this will result if the eyes of our hearts are enlightened to the glorious inheritance God has provided for His holy people. I thought a lot about preaching and what it should be. And I bet you have too. When you said to yourself, that sermon was boring. That sermon was way too long. You won't have to say that this morning, I'm fairly certain. Or that sermon just didn't seem relevant to my circumstances. And I know Brent faces this all of my preaching brothers that I'm close to and we talk about preaching and what it should be. I mean, what's it supposed to look like? I mean, did, wasn't every sermon Paul preached 30 minutes? You know, there's really no template in the New Testament for the length of a sermon. I, I challenge anyone to find that. But yet if you went 25 minutes like my friend Robert Jackson used to do, he's been gone from us for a decade. And some people said, oh, his sermons are too short. I said to myself, even as a young preacher, yeah, if you could only preach like he could. I mean, how long does a sermon have to be? You know, somebody could say something in 25 minutes that it takes somebody else two hours to say. What what does the length of sermon have to do with anything? I'll tell you how long I need to preach. I need to preach in an effective way so that you get something out of this. That you're strengthened and encouraged by what you've heard. Oh, but the nature of the message itself. Preacher, you haven't covered this particular topic. How many topics are there? 
Should we just set that out? There's 365 topics. Wait a minute, I'm only preaching once a week. That's seven years. So you can only cover that topic once every seven years. Is that how this works? Look, this is not the only method or avenue of teaching that we have. And have you ever noticed something about preaching? It's very (laughs) one-sided. Now, I do get laughter and amens from the audience, and so you're learning to participate with me, and I like that. But this is a one-sided communication. Maybe some things are better discussed in a Bible class where there's back-and-forth communication. That's the way I look at it anyway. And again, Brent may not look at it the same way that I do, but my idea about preaching is that I want to say something that has relevance to everyone that's here, no matter where they are. And so when I talk about getting connected to God, that may be precisely where you are. You need to get connected for the very first time. I want to strongly encourage that while there's time and opportunity. Or perhaps you came into that connection at some point in the past and you just need a strengthening of that bond, of that connection, to better understand exactly the things that you're involved in because the onslaught of the adversary is severe. He wants to take you away from these things. Paul was not praying for those outside of Christ in that prayer. There's a relevance in that prayer to outsiders, but but he's praying for those who are already in Christ to see these things better. And so I could talk to you about a lot of important topics in Scripture when I preach. And I wouldn't be wrong in doing that. But I have to assess the need. You know, the elders help preachers do that. Sometimes the elders will say, and they've done it here, we we would like to hear a sermon on a particular topic, and I accommodate that when they do that. They are our shepherds. They see something that, that I need to pursue in teaching, and so I do that. But when I'm thinking about what topic to preach, sometimes I, I'm thinking big picture. There are other topics, and, and Matthew 23, 23 is sort of my text here as I think about this. When Jesus spoke of tithing of, of the smallest of things, and he did not belittle that, of giving your tenth to God under the law. He said, these things you ought to have done without leaving the other matters undone. The weightier matters of the law are justice, mercy, and faithfulness. Jesus himself describes certain matters of the law as weightier. And if you think about it, if we don't get those heart principles right, then we're not going to do very well in the details either. We may do well in regard to one particular tenet of the law that sort of works with the way our brain works i got to give God a tenth of everything. And so you start measuring every little thing that you have, and you give the tenth to God. But you're going to fail miserably in other areas if you don't get those weightier matters right. So let me just tell you about preaching as I see it. That I need to emphasize, for the most part, those weightier matters. So that you are... And that I am properly connected to God. I don't want to think that I'm connected to God and I'm not. And guess who determines that? I do. No, no, I don't. I don't determine that. Our elders don't determine that. The church doesn't determine that. 
God ultimately determines whether I'm properly connected to him. And that's what you need to be concerned about. We, we too often look at how other people see us, how other people regard us. And it really, ultimately, it is God's regard that matters. How well are you doing in this connection? I want to foster the connection. I'm going to bring this up, because you know I love to throw the deacons under the bus. And uh, actually I do it in all in fun, because they're great guys. It, it's, it's hard. What's that? Amen. There you go. He's a deacon. You can't say that. Somebody else got to say it. Amen. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> and now let's go right into the invitation. <laughs> Oh, I'm almost done and I'm glad. (laughs) This time it's Scott's turn. So we get an email a few weeks ago. Hey, we're going to change everything up in the Bible classes. We have these meetings and we discuss the curriculum for the next couple of years and the adult classes. And one of the running jokes is we, we get done with that meeting. And we're, oh, yeah, this is really exciting. We've got everything planned out. And then it gets messed up in about three months. Uh, but things happen. And so we get this email from Scott that says, uh, oh, by the way, we're going back to the quarters like we did it before. And so this summer quarter is only going to have two months in it. Oh, great. What I was planning to teach that particular quarter, that's not going to work. So i got to do something else. But actually... It was a blessing in disguise. Thank you, Scott. So I'm not throwing him under the bus. But uh, so I got this idea to do 2 Peter chapter 1 and simply just call it useful and fruitful for a couple of months. And I'm really excited about it. But again, why do a class like this? You see those two words? That's connection to God. That's what I want for you. That's what we should want for ourselves to be useful and fruitful by God's determination. In his service. So, just for a few minutes in conclusion, I want to talk to you about appreciating your connection with God and for you to stay focused. And I think that's a lot of what preaching should do is to encourage you to stay focused on your purpose as a believer. I have two other notes written in my margins in Ephesians, and actually I'm out of room uh, in my margins in Ephesians. But I checked with Jared, and I'm pretty sure he said these two things when he taught the class. Number one, what is God doing? He is transforming junk into icons for God. I like that way of saying it. You know, we've messed things up severely because of sin. It took the sacrifice of God's Son to remedy the problem, the propitiation for our sins. And yet He takes the likes of us who were dead in our trespasses and sin, He goes on to say in Ephesians chapter 2, and He makes us alive together with Him. We have been raised up to sit in heavenly places as believers. Such honor is conferred upon us and lavished upon us in Christ. And now we have a purpose. We've got something to demonstrate to the world. And we demonstrate that by our behavior. 
The way we act in the world. The way we act in the world is everything. We are icons for God. And if I could throw in Ezekiel 36 from another quote that Jared gave us at that time, God is justifying His name before the world. God has had to endure and go through so much to provide redemption for the likes of us, and now it is for us to declare the great things that God has done. God has vindicated Himself before the world in us, His holy people, as we read in Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 18. And so this is our job, to justify His name before the world. And I would make that argument from Ephesians 3, to Him who is able to do exceeding and abundantly beyond all that we ask or think, according to the power that works in us, to Him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations. Hey, that's, that's, the, that's us in the year 2021. To all generations. To Him be the glory in the church forever and ever. This is our business as God's dedicated, holy servants. And I'll tell you where this epistle goes. You want to start reading Ephesians chapter 4, verses 17 through the end, and I'll tell you what you're going to find. You're going to find this is what we need to focus on. This is our purpose as His holy people. And the letter W appears over and over again. Walk, wisdom, a section on wives, more on that in a sermon soon. Warrior, warfare. God has expect expectations for us. One final thought, what's, what's the benefit? I'll tell you what I see in these last few chapters of Ephesians. That the lifestyle to which God calls us is ennobling. It raises us up out of the muck and mire of futility. Do not walk in futility, he says in Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 17. It is ennobling. It is enhancing who we are as humans made in the image of God. When we praise together today so beautifully as we have done, we are aligning ourselves with God's creative purpose. We're being lifted up in terms of quality in regard to our lives. It is ennobling. That's what I read all throughout the rest of Ephesians. And it's winning. There is a warfare going on against our adversary that we have been equipped to win by the help of our God. And why do I end here? Because when Paul says... I pray that the eyes of your heart might be enlightened. I think people struggle at times to know, to see the benefits of the amazing hope to which he has called us, the riches, oh the riches, the unfathomable riches of God. He would say in Ephesians 3, 
the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people and his incomparably great power toward us who believe. There is nothing more important than the status of your connection with God. Are you in Christ where all blessings are to be found? Let's stand and sing.